Hello, my name is Anna, and if you're into scary stories and creepy real-life happenings, then I think you will love my podcast. Let me tell you a scary story. Join me every week as I read to you stories of the paranormal that actually happen to ordinary people. These are things that can't be explained and don't always make much sense, and they are sure to intrigue and to give you the shivers. So join me on your favourite podcast listening platform and let me tell you a scary story. Welcome to State of Fear, where terror is homegrown. Join us as we take a drive down dusty back roads and discover the obscure and dark history of this country, human and otherwise, that lurk in your backyard. Welcome to State of Fear episode 45, Utah. This week, we start off with the top 10 phobias people have. Then we get into our main topic of the town of Layton, Utah and the curse of Hobbs Reservoir. Finally, we get a personal story of a creepy encounter with a demon dog. Nice. I'm your host, Chris, and joining me as always on this fantastic ride is James. Hey, James. What's up, Chris? How you doing, brother? And how's everybody this evening? Doing good, man. Doing good. Just, uh, you know, hustling, hustling, hustling and working for a living. You know how it goes. Yes, sir. And we want to just do a slight apology to folks out there. I know the episode was a little slow in coming, but we did have a uh, little situation here in Texas for about a week or so. So we were safe about it and, you know, didn't record. Plus, power was unpredictable. So it's been a mess here. But now, all of a sudden, like the next week, all of a sudden, we got sunshine and glory. So I don't know what the hell is going on with the weather, but. Typical Texas weather in the yep. winter slash spring. That's just how it yeah, is, unfortunately. Yeah. One of the funniest things I saw, somebody, one of my friends online had a pair of shorts and flip-flops on. She says, yeah, here I am, shorts and flip-flops. Like last week, the weather didn't try to kill me. You know, stuff like that. You know, <laughs> yeah. It's funny. Yeah. Yeah, like my favorite meme I saw was um, someone took a picture of Leonardo DiCaprio from uh, The Revenant, <laughs> and then one of him from... Um, wolf of wall street and, and put them together and said texas one week texas the next week that's right that's yeah that's right. exactly how it is yeah we were all trying to survive and not get killed by bears one week and then <laughs> sitting in shorts and drinking margaritas the next week absolutely you know but it's great it, it is what it is you know we, i mean it's great through. except for my damn uh sinuses it's a wreck on my damn sinuses i have had a headache for the last two weeks every day oh, nonstop. Man. that sucks man yeah it is a pain in my head, literally. Wow. Yeah. Sorry to hear that, man. You know, it's just how it is. Um, I thought, it was, I I thought it was me causing the problem, the headaches, you know. He's you know bone-headed you're, you're, co-host here, you know. 
You're, you're not a headache. You're a pain in my ass. <laughs> <laughs> About 350 pounds worth. That's right. That's right. You, you are you are a big-ass hemorrhoid on my ass. So let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> no, but um, yeah, so it, it's fine. I'm, I'm used to it by now. Um, it just sucks. I just, I, I prefer if the weather just, you know, at least stayed one way for a few weeks to give my head and my sinuses time to adjust. But whatever. It's not how it's going to go. Yep. Now, like I said, I, I just want to send a shout out to any of our local fans here, listeners. If y'all had any problems with it, God bless you. Sorry. I hope you guys made it through okay. And we, I just hope that it, if anybody was unprepared and had a hard time with it, you'll, you know, we all get a lesson from this and know what we need next time and stuff like that. You just can't ever take weather for granted. You know, I mean, I know a lot of northern states deal with a hell of a lot worse weather, but down here in the south, the, the, the construction, the streets, the roads, and the drivers, and everybody out there is not prepared for Arctic-type stuff and icy streets. So, yeah, just just be careful, guys. There were a lot of people who were um, affected by it and who ended up going to uh, warming stations and, and people who, you know, didn't have heat or whatever. And uh, if there's any out-of-state listeners and they want to know how they can help those people here in Texas, just go to feedingtexas.org and you can donate there and those will go to a lot of needed families here in Houston and other parts of Texas. Yep, because there are a lot of people still recovering from that mess. Mm-hmm, they really are. It's Even, it's crazy. Yes, it is. And I want to remind everyone also that we still have the 1996 X-Files postcard giveaway going on. Just uh, go to any uh, podcast app or anywhere you listen to podcasts, give us a review. Um, we prefer Apple, but anywhere it works really. And if you do Apple, um, you can put a one word review. It doesn't matter. What really matters is you give us five stars or four stars. What do you want to give us? Just give us a fuck of stars. And, uh, <laughs> but then take a screenshot, send it to us at state of fear podcast at gmail.com. And we will get you out a vintage X-Files postcard. Uh, we also have a telephone number in which you can call and leave us your spooky scary or unusual stories um and we definitely want to hear those we definitely want to get them in uh and that phone number is 713-581-4551 that number again in case you missed it 713-581-4551 thank you james yeah so call us leave us voicemail tell us your story and we'll play it on a future show also don't forget we have a Patreon, patreon.com backslash state of fear. Go there. You can find ad-free episodes of all the shows. You can find bonus stuff. You can find bloopers um, and you can find all the, all the stuff you won't find anywhere else is going to be on there. So check out patreon.com backslash state of fear. We have super, uh, super cheap levels, um, something for everybody. So, all right, well, why don't we go ahead and get um, talking about tonight's episode. So as we mentioned at the top, we are going to be talking about the curse of Hobbs reservoir in Layton, Utah. Um, nice. and then we're also, we're also going to have a demon dog encounter personal story later on. But first, before we get into your weird story, let's do a couple of weird facts that I found about Utah. Shall we? Absolutely, man. All right. So in March of 1968, 6,000 sheep died mysteriously in Skull Valley. The U.S. Army conducted open-air tests of the nerve agent VX just days before, and for years, the Army denied that its test had anything to do with the death of the sheep, though investigative reports concluded otherwise. Jerks. <laughs> and that's my peoples. That's your government. See, that's like that's like spreading that easy foregas in the Close Encounters movie, and they gassed all of them livestock and shit, but I guess mm -hmm. exactly. the VX gas kills peoples. Oh, yeah. 
Well, two men from Barrel were charged with practicing medicine without a license after drilling a hole in a woman's head in January 2000. <laughs> Sound like Egon. <laughs> the men were accompanied by producers of the television show 2020, which I don't know why in the hell they would go along with this, but who were doing research for a story about trepanation. The practice involves drilling one or two holes in a person's head in order to increase blood flow, yeah, out, and supposedly decrease symptoms of depression. Well, a lobotomy would usually do that. A power drill to the frontal lobe is not exactly something I would recommend. No, uh, that's uh, it, it's not something, you, it's one of those you definitely don't try at home. No. No, no, no. In 1971, uh, Utah, now I, I was looking this up. So apparently the correct way to call Utah's residents is Utahan, but you, uh, locals do not call themselves that. They call them Utahns, U-T-A-H-N. I always called them Utanians. Yeah, see, that, that's, you know, that's. I'm a Colorado boy. I used to call them Utanians. And that's a whole, that's a whole different thing you made up apparently because I've never seen that in any of the information I could find. Hey, I, I try to be unique, brother. A Utah hijacked a plane collected $50,000 in ransom, then escaped by jumping out of the plane with a parachute. The man, Richard McCoy, was later caught and has long been suspected of being the infamous D.B. Cooper who hijacked a plane four months earlier and had bailed out with a parachute after collecting $200,000 in ransom money. McCoy was convicted of the second hijacking, but escaped prison and was shot to death in a standoff with police. We'll never know if he was the true D.B. Cooper. Wow. Yeah, when you told that, I, I instantly pictured to myself Yosemite Sam with that huge bag of money. He, he jumps out of the plane from Bugs Bunny after the plane was going down. Yeah. He, he takes the last parachute, and he's he's like, so long, sucker. Ha-ha. Ha-ha. <laughs> and, he fall, and, he, and he floats right down into a cop car, and they got his ass. That was hilarious. Okay. Well, Utah is also home to Skinwalker Ranch. Very, very cool. Skinwalker Ranch, also known as Sherman Ranch, is a property located on approximately 512 acres southwest of Ballard, Utah, that is reputed to be the site of paranormal and UFO-related activities. In 1995, hotel billionaire and UFO enthusiast Robert Bigelow founded the National Institute for Discovery Science, an organization built to research paranormal phenomena. In 1996, Bigelow purchased Skinwalker Ranch and installed a NIDS research facility there. Bigelow sold the ranch in 2018 to real estate tycoon Brandon Fugel, who continues research into the unusual occurrences. That is awesome. And I cannot wait to get Chris back down here. Um, uh, Chris and... Um, oh, please help me out here, brother. Chris? Chris who? Our, our guest that we're going to be at our our last event that got canceled because of Mr. COVID. Oh yeah. Chris and Erica. Yeah. Yeah. Chris and Erica, the UFO and the Skinwalker ranch, uh, specialists. He, he actually worked on the ranch and I was really looking forward to hearing what he had to say. So, yeah, I was too. He, he, um, he worked there as security. So uh, and I read a bunch of his, um, cause he's writing a book and he sent me some early drafts of it. And I was reading through some of the information and some of the experiments they conducted were pretty cool. Pretty cool. Freaking awesome. Yeah, so I'm, I'm hoping once everything blows over, we can get him back down and actually get to talk to him. And uh, yeah, it should be exciting. Absolutely. It's also home to Dugway Proving Grounds. Now, Dugway Proving Grounds, or DPG, is a U.S. Army facility established in 1942 to test biological and chemical weapons. 
located about 85 miles southwest of Salt Lake City, Utah. What the hell is wrong with Utah? But conspiracy theorists claim that Dugway is the new Area 51 and that U.S. government secret programs are hiding extraterrestrial technology that could liberate us from our fossil fuel-based dependency for energy. Don Phillips, an engineer for Lockheed, one of Dugway's biggest defense contractors, supports claims made by UFO investigators and Lockheed's former CEO, Dr. Ben Rich, that his company did indeed conduct experiments to do with, quote, flying saucer technology. He says scientists were aided by the remains of a downed craft from Roswell. He was quoted as saying, these UFOs were huge, and they would just come to a stop and do a 60-degree, 45-degree, and 10-degree turn, and then immediately reverse this action, end quote. Wow. Now, quick little side note. My dad actually works at Dugway Proving Grounds. Oh, does he now? He does. He is part of a team, and they test uh, the effect of, uh, well, they test protection for vehicles and mechanical items or objects um, against different biological and chemical war weapons. Very cool. Very cool. Somebody got to do it. Well, and I asked him, I asked him about this after I heard he said he has no idea what's if, if that's true. But as far as he's seen, we're, they're not hiding any UFOs in Dugway. But then again, <laughs> he may not just have access to the lower tunnels down there, you know? Either that or it's one of those, son, I could tell you, but then I'll have to kill you. <laughs> Probably, I don't yeah. care if you are my boy. I love you, but nope. If I tell you, I'm going to have to put a knife through your neck. I'm, I'm just going to put you all over YouTube then, Dad. You're going to be blasted on YouTube. That's right. We'll just keep it. We'll just keep it. Yeah. And real quick, just a couple of uh, uh, quick famous people from Utah. We got Butch Cassidy, who was born in Beaver, Utah. Yes. Donnie Marie Osmond, were born in Ogden, Utah, with the other Osmond family. All 500 of them. And Wayne Sermon, guitarist of Imagine Dragons, who was born in American Fork. Good band. Oh, man, I love this great band, dude. Like yeah. those guys are fantastic. Oh, yeah, they're really, really awesome. All right, bud, well, that's the end of that. So why don't we go ahead and get on into your weird story this week, man? Absolutely. Folks, this week I've chosen to go kind of off path a little bit because a lot of times, you know, on State of Fear, we talk about things we're afraid of and stuff like that. And the weird news is usually something funny or offbeat or off character. You know, it's kind of, you know, just shoot from the hip, weird stuff. But this week I chose to talk about what are the top 10 phobias. You know, a lot of people are wondering about phobias and stuff like that. A phobia is a strong, irrational fear of something that poses little or no actual danger. It is a type of anxiety disorder. A phobia is a persistent, excessive, unrealistic fear of an object, person, animal, activity, or situation. Phobias are diagnosable mental disorders. Ah, so I, I used to have one. I'll talk about that in a second. People with phobias try to avoid what they are afraid of. If they cannot, they may experience the following. Panic and fear, rapid heartbeat, shortness of breath, trembling, and a strong desire to get away. Sounds like marriage. I'm just kidding. Nope. I'm just kidding, I swear. I got to make sure I insert a uh, rim shot. Yep. <laughs> 
What are the different groups of phobias? There are three main groups of phobias, which include the following. Specific phobias. These are most common types of phobias and focus on a specific object. We also have social phobias. People with social phobias are afraid of being in the company of other people. They fear being humiliated or embarrassed in front of other people. Stuff like that. And our last but not least, we have the agoraphobics. People with agoraphobia are afraid of being in open spaces such as markets, bars, bank queues. What the hell's a bank queue? Oh, well, anyway, or bridges. That line you sit in at the bank when you're trying to deposit something. But what are the top 10 phobias, you ask? People may develop a phobia of almost anything. Additionally, as society changes, the list of potential phobias may also change. For instance, nomophobia is the fear of being without a cell phone, computer, or technology. You young people can definitely probably relate with that one. So if you have this strong sense of loss, if you don't have technology at your fingertips, you actually have to wait to hear from somebody or go somewhere to get an answer, it can drive some people nuts. And this is true. I have actually seen this in people. That's my wife. All right. Number one, the claustrophobia. This is probably one of the worst. This is the fear of being constricted in confined spaces. Two, zoophobia. You can probably guess what that is. This is like an umbrella term that involves extreme fear of certain animals. Arachnophobia means fear of spiders Ornitho, I'm, I'm going to try to pronounce this one. Ornitho, ornithophobia is the fear of birds. Well, if you ever saw any uh, Alfred Hitchcock, you'd understand why. Ophidiophobia is probably one that a lot of people suffer, and that is a fear of snakes. <laughs> oh, yeah, and I fear of snakes. Apophobia means fear of bees. So that's just some of them. Number three, we have brontophobia. This is the fear of thunder and thunderstorm. Such people know that thunder cannot harm them, but they are still worried about going out during a thunderstorm. Well, most people are. You don't want to get hit by lightning. Or yeah, you that's can a sing, bigger fear right there. Or you can sing the, sing the Thunder Buddies song from Ted. You know, that, that oh, works yeah, too. there you go. Thunder Buddies for life. <laughs> that's right. Acrophobia. This is the fear of heights. This is the one that I used to suffer from personally. This is, and it's a dangerous condition that can affect a person even when they are climbing stairs or a ladder. Now, I never had that problem, but with me, I used to work construction. If I ever had to walk along the top of a stud wall and there was nothing to hold, I'd have to balance myself and I'm 10, 12 feet off the ground. That bothered me. But the way I overcame it personally is when I joined the Army, I jumped out of helicopters. I forced myself to do it. Done. To, Bam. I parachuted out of helicopters. It was not my specific MOS, but we had the ability and the opportunity to cross-train at Fort Hood. So I took advantage of it, and I did a fi couple, bunch of 500-foot jumps with a cargo. You know, with you just hook up, you jump out, your chute automatically deploys, you float 500 feet to the ground, and you're dead. You know, whatever. <laughs> and you're dead. Damn. Okay. <laughs> that took a dark turn. <laughs> Number five is aerophobia. This is the fear of flying. You know, and that's one thing I have never had a problem with flying, even though the minute that plane leaves the ground, you are completely in the hands of another person. You know, that person. You know, what's funny some... is that um, I, I, I only have the fear of flying up to the point where the plane takes off. Once the plane takes off, I completely lose it. Really? Like, I, yeah, I have no more fear. My fear is gone, which is weird because 8% of, of the crashes in planes cause after they're in the air, not before they get in but. That's the whole true. time I'm on the runway, but up until the point where the plane takes off, I'm just like, oh, man, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. And then as soon as that plane oh, yeah. takes off, I'm like, 
All right, let's do this. I'm done. I'm ready. Let's go. Yep, and I'm not a fan of big turbulence, but I don't really have a problem flying because I usually dope myself up with about three or four Dramamine. Because uh, I don't re- I used to get airsick, but I don't really get airsick anymore. But I do mm-hmm. that, and I just pass out and sleep through the whole damn thing. I wake up, my orange juice is there, I drink it, eat my cookie bag, and I'm good. Number six is blood injury and injection. B-I-I, it's called phobia. Injury phobias are generally phobias associated with the fear of medical procedures. Well, a lot of people are scared of that. Getting shots, things like that. You can faint, hyperventilate, stuff like that. Number seven is carcinophobia. This is the fear of developing cancer. Such people tend to correlate every new symptom with cancer. In other words, you know, every, oh my God, my head hurts. I got a tumor, you know, stuff like that. It's not a tumor, you know, all that stuff. I think that's called WebMD and everything. Number eight, hematophobia. This is the fear of vomiting. <laughs> can they just call it pucophobia? It'd be easier. This can make a personally unnaturally afraid of vomiting, especially in public. Well, who the hell would want to vomit in public? <laughs> College uh, kids? I guess. Yep. Number nine, phasmophobia. This is the fear of ghosts and is quite a common fear. Not for oh, you man. and me, though, brother. Not for not, me. Not for us, but no, people we, that we, we've you know been to, I mean, it, it is like a huge fear. Number ten, probably one of the most common amongst folks, is triskaidophobia. This is an extreme fear related with the number thirteen. Bad luck. That's why if you notice in most buildings, there is no 13th floor. Right. They Mm -hmm. never do it. Superstitious. Especially in uh, Asian countries. They're real big about that. Yes. And what are the treatment options for phobias? Phobias are treatable, and people who have them are nearly always aware of their disorder. And this helps with the diagnosis a great deal. And they can be treated with a combination of therapy and medications. And I encourage folks, if you do have a phobia out there, don't let it hold you back. If there's some kind of help you can get or something you can read about it, just, you know, see if you can you know, get help for that. But that, my friend, is my weirdness for this episode. Very cool. Yeah, that, that's a, I that's a good story, it. man. I, yeah, I like learning about all those different phobias. I actually had, um, when I was younger, um, I had a fear of clowns. I don't, I don't remember what that's called. Uh, let me look it up real quick. Clown phobia. That's called cholrophobia. Cholrophobia. Okay. Cholrophobia. And I bet you, I bet you that should have been on this list. I think that would be on this list before fear of vomiting, if you ask me. Yeah, I think it would you know. too, but I I got over it pretty quickly as I got older because I realized they're not they're not scary. They're just they're just sad. I mean, there's people that are terrified of little people. There's people terrified of clowns. There's mm-hmm. people terrified of tall people. Uh, you know, it's just weird. It's just weird. There, there's people who are scared of damn near everything. So yeah, like I hadn't heard of the vomiting one, so that was cool to hear of. I didn't hear of the thunderstorms one. That was pretty neat. Um, and the rest were seemed pretty pretty standard. Um. I think most people, most people have a fear of developing cancer. I think that's kind of a standard fear all around the human race. Yeah, I think you're right. That's a that's yeah. a general health concern for most people. Yeah. All right, man. I'm especially. I'm ready, man. Let's move on to this main topic. I can't wait to hear about this one. All right, man. Let's do it. Okay, so before we get started, I, I just want to bring something to, to your attention. So, 
Earlier we talked about the um, hijacker from Utah, uh, Richard McCoy, who um, was thought to be possibly linked to D.B. Cooper. Well, I did a quick search to see what Mr. McCoy looked like. And you guys need to go look this up. I kid you not. He looks very much like the famous sketch of D.B. Cooper um, from the earlier hijacking. And so I'm going to put it out there. I think Mr. McCoy was in fact D.B. Cooper. And that's why he's never been found because he was shot to death in a standoff. I really, really think so. I mean, go look it up when you guys get a chance. Look up uh, Richard McCoy, Utah, uh, a hijack or whatever, and you'll easily find um, him right next to a picture of D.B. Cooper. And I mean, it's it's pretty spot on. So, uh, yeah, I just want to bring that up because I thought that was pretty cool. Very cool. But let's get into today's story. As I said before, it's on the town of Layton, Utah and the curse of Hobbs River. Layton, Utah is a city 25 miles north of Salt Lake City. It sits in between the Great Salt Lake and the Wasatch National Forest. And for a town of only 79,000 people and 23 square miles, it has its share of paranormal hotspots. Some of those include Hill Air Force Base. Several buildings at Hill Air Force Base are said to have paranormal activity. Some visitors at the museum say they've seen a ghostly specter who disappears into thin air. Servicemen claim that one of the mechanics buildings is haunted by a spirit who closes doors and moves items around. Camelot Park. This tiny park in Layton covers just 2.6 acres, but some say it's home to an evil presence. Visitors report laughter and footsteps after dark here. Bell Printing. An employee who once worked here reported that he experienced several scary incidents with a spirit who touched his hair and brushed against them in the hallways. And it sounds like that spirit needs to go back to sexual harassment training. <laughs> yeah. He must have died the day they had that class. I uh, probably so. <laughs> Bad joke. <laughs> Layton Hills Mall. Stories of weird activity in the middle of the night are common at Layton Hills Mall. Employees at many stores report that potted plants in the mall are dug up overnight. Some say that they've seen ghostly figures walking down the mall corridors after closing times, while others report hearing noises that leave chills running up their spines. When you hear some ghost fucking plant, I don't like this plant. I done told you people, quit planting this shit in here. <laughs> it's just it's just teens who are, are trying to get in the mall afterward to get free clothes and free CDs. Hey, you know what? They need those damn robots from that uh, from Chopping oh, Mall. Oh, from sh Chopping Mall, yeah. <laughs> Have a nice day. That's right. Layton Cemetery. Like most cemeteries, the Lindquist Memorial Park Cemetery in Layton has plenty of ghost stories. Visitors here report seeing orbs around certain headstones, and some even claim to have seen the ghost of a young girl wandering around and sitting under one of the trees here. Ugh, orbs. <laughs> even, even more, ugh, cemetery. Yeah. Give me a damn break. Ridiculous. Yep. Gentile Street. A drive down Gentile Street along the south edge of the Valley View Golf Course is usually a pleasant experience unless it's dark or on an overcast night. Drivers report seeing a lone man walking down the quiet portion of this road. As they approach, he turns towards them and appears to be screaming, though no sound is heard. Then he vanishes into thin air. And that brings us to our last location in Layton, Hobbs Reservoir. Let me start off by saying that if you do a search for the curse of Hobbs Reservoir, 
you won't get any results. The curse, as I call it, doesn't seem to actually exist. I couldn't find any record of a curse, neither from the Ute or Goshute tribes, nor anywhere else for that matter. Nevertheless, what we are about to talk about, to me, seems nothing less than a curse on the land. Bum, 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 bum. I had to throw that in there for you. Okay, love it. In 1960, it was decided that the town's current reservoir, Snow Creek Reservoir, was not large enough to meet the town's water needs. It was decided that a dam and new reservoir was needed, and construction began in Hobbs Hollow in Northeast Layton, and while I could find no official account of how long it took to build, it most likely was completed sometime in the 1920s, probably mid to late 20s. Hobbs Hollow's got its name from the family that settled there in the late 1800s, the reservoir would have a 1,600 acre water capacity with a greatest depth of 30 feet and was built by the Case Creek Irrigation Company. This reservoir is located at the intersection of Highway 89 and 193 west of the Wasatch National Forest and east of Hill Air Force Base. Most people don't swim in Hobbs Reservoir often or for very long. The 80 years or so of the reservoir would see the drownings of half a dozen young people. Damn. And that, to me, is where the curse comes in. Uh, a lot of websites online or a lot of research online actually refer to it as the haunting of Hobbs Reservoir. Um, I couldn't find really any... I uh, found a couple of accounts of quote-unquote paranormal activity, um, but really what you find more are just the voluminous amounts of drownings that have occurred here. About 20 years after it was completed, on July 21st, 1943, an article from the Standard Examiner was published that stated contamination was found in the reservoir and it was deemed unfit for swimming. It further stated that anyone found swimming would be subject to disciplinary action, though it seems this article did not make its way to Hill Air Force Base. On July 6, 1944, Privates William Opie, Alfred Ford, Jesse Kemp, and Corporal William Smith, all stationed at Hill Air Force Base, decided to go for a swim on the warm Sunday afternoon. At 3 p.m. on that fateful day, Corporal Smith wanted to see if he could swim across to the shore on the other side, and Private Opie decided to follow his lead. At some point, the 19-year-old private began to have problems and cried out for help from Corporal Smith. Corporal Smith turned and reached Private Opie, and with him on his back, began to swim back to the shore. They made it some length before the private began weighing both them down and began to lose his grip on Corporal Smith. Eventually, Opie slipped and fell under, and he never resurfaced. The corporal waited for the private to resurface before making his way back to shore. The three men then waited on the shore, hoping he would resurface, and for the next few days, Local authorities and dozens of volunteers searched the reservoir for his body. The searchers descended upon the reservoir with grappling hooks and drag lines in John boats. Ugh, I just hate to hear when they do drag boats with hooks and stuff. Oh, I know. Because I mean, I those damn grappling. I mean, you've been in the water for a while. Those those, those hooks uh, get a hold of you and just rip you to shreds. Yeah, that that, that skin is all soft and and, and yeah. squishy. So. Ugh. It it's like a hot knife through butter, man. Wouldn't be much to look at anyway. And I'm usually, you know, drownings of that nature, probably closed casket anyway, but damn. Oh, yeah, for sure. Brutal. 
Some stood plunging sticks into the loom, but came up empty. Believing that the body was lodged somewhere under the water and wanting to have a body to send back to Private Opie's family, the authorities decided to try and force the body to resurface. On August 9th, authorities blasted over 30 sticks of dynamite to try and dislodge the body loose and send it to the surface. Oh, for God's sakes, really? It would be several hours from the initial blast before the private's body floated back to the surface. I'm surprised they didn't blow the living hell out of it, to be honest with you. Yeah, 30 sticks of dynamite in that little reservoir. Corporal Smith then accompanied Private Opie's body back to Arlington, Virginia to return it to the family and bury it in the Arlington National Cemetery. Really? I had to look that up. I've been to Arlington three times. Oh, well, next time you go back, uh, check it's, it out. He, it's enormous, so I've had to do it in sections because it's way oh, too yeah, massive right. to walk yeah. in just one day. It's too way too massive. But yeah, yeah, so I, I, I doubt you'll find it. But, yeah, so even though he was disobeying orders and went swimming in the reservoir, they made an exception and buried him in Arlington National Cemetery. That is crazy because I can look him up. They've got a registry there, and it will tell us exactly where he is, and they have grave numbers for everything. So you can find anybody. This was the first reported drowning in Hobbs Reservoir, but it would not be the last. Dun, dun, dun. I love the sound effects. More dramatic music, got it. Very dramatic. <laughs> Over the next 60 years, five more people would drown in the reservoir, despite numerous reports from authorities about the contamination levels of the water and the numerous gates and fences put up around the water. Fifteen years after the private's death, on July 26, 1959, Seven kids went for a swim in the waters on another warm Sunday afternoon. I think, don't go on Sundays, people. It's a bad no, time. No. That's yeah. the Lord's Day. Stay home with that stuff. Yep. Two of the boys were floating on the log across the pond from where the other five played in the water at the bank and called out to Joe Junior Munoz to join them. The 16-year-old Salt Lake City resident set out across the still, sunlit water. The boys watched as Joe swam closer, but right as he was about 15 feet from them, he suddenly disappeared. Shark? With no signs of a struggle or any problem whatsoever, his friends thought Joe was playing a trick on them, but he never resurfaced. The kids watched in horror for a moment and swam to his previous spot, finding it unoccupied, dark, and without evidence of their friend, with no bubble nor waving arm. Our boy Jason's in the house. Ah, ooh, I didn't think about that. Mr. Yeah, nice. Or he's. They searched the bottom of the reservoir, but found no sign of Joe. One of the kids ran 20 minutes to the nearest home to get help, and local authorities arrived with divers and began dragging the waters. It took just over an hour for the body of Joseph to be found. So that's just sad. It's crazy, and it's going to keep going. Yep. In 1965, two more teens would drown at Hobbs Reservoir. 16-year-old Andrew Dale Nightingale was swimming with friends and met a similar fate. He and three friends decided to swim to the other side of the reservoir. His friends made it first, and as they watched Andrew, who was about two-thirds of the way across, he suddenly turned over on his back, then calmly slipped into the waters below. What the hell? Yeah, it's... Really? It, just it, turned on his the, back and just... Went down. I wonder if he had a heart attack or something. I don't know. I, don't, I think this is one of the ones he, they didn't find the body. Oh, geez. Because it doesn't mention it in, in the uh, research. So, Eek. July 1st, 1968, 16-year-old Michael Holden went for a swim with his friend Steve Menes when they decided to swim to a reservoir that was about 100 yards out. 
When Michael got about halfway, he began to yell for help from Steve, saying he wasn't going to make it. Steve turned around to help, and at the same time, two girls who just happened to be there to swim also heard Michael yelling for help and jumped in to provide help. By the time they all got there, he had long slipped below the surface and was gone. See, now what is, is it, you know what, I'm thinking because of the heavy mineral content of Utah, because you know of the salts and things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know this is a freshwater reservoir, but I'm wondering if because of the heavy minerals in that state, if the water doesn't, it won't hold them up. You know what I mean? I would usually think harder water, your body would float. You know, it holds you up. You know, you know what I mean? Yeah, and that's the thing, like the Great Salt Lake. Because they just know. sink. You know, yeah. a body that drowns usually will surface and float. Right, so they're, they're getting caught by something under the water and being held down there. I mean, because the Great Salt Lake, which has more salt water than, than most of the oceans, you know, I've been there. When, you, when yeah. you go swimming in there, you naturally float because of all the salt in there. Exactly. It's almost like jumping into a concrete pad. I've done that, and it's like, holy crap. Mm-hmm. So there's something underneath the water, uh, some sort of current or some sort of weird, like, uh, underwater, uh, I don't know what you want to call it, but something that's, like, pulling them down. And then they either get stuck on like a rock or, or something, and they just get stuck there. It's, it's, or, it's, or one of them Voorhees fish. Or a Voorhees fish. There you go. Yeah, yeah with the mask <laughs> on and everything. Yeah. <laughs> the two girls went to get help while Steve continued the search. The next morning, volunteer divers recovered the body of Michael Holden. Then, on August 3rd, 1971, 18-year-old Charles Humphrey, who was described by all who knew him as a strong athlete, went swimming with some friends when he suddenly complained of a leg cramp. He yelled at his friends to toss him a log to stay afloat, but before they got to him, Charles, who went by Chuck, was pulled under. Hours later, divers found Chuck's body 30 feet from the surface. Damn. Yeah, and he was a strong swimmer, so... And, and I mean, if, if he... Well, he was a strong athlete, um, and I doubt he would have just randomly acquired a leg cramp... I'm beginning to nowhere. think. I'm beginning to think this water, this body of water hates teenagers, because it's like <laughs> taking them out left and right. This is crazy, and the circumstances you're describing is almost like an undertow or something. But it's a reservoir, right? Yeah, and th- that's why I, I I really think this is, this particular reservoir is cursed. I mean, there's just too many of these weird occurrences, these weird un unusual drownings to be just yeah. You know, I I agree. Yeah. Determined to keep people out of the reservoir, police began conducting raids and issuing citations to anyone found there. They cut down the trees that held rope swings put up by swimmers, and believe it or not, at one point, with all of their measures not working, the police released a statement asking any would-be swimmers to at least please wear a swimsuit, as so many people were busted at the reservoir for skinny dipping. Oh, shit. On Sunday, June 28, 1981, 19-year-old Angelo Grabowski, a wingman from Hill Air Force Base, went to Hobbs Reservoir with some friends. As Angelo went to dive into the water, he somehow collided with another swimmer and sank like a rock into the waters. His body would be recovered hours later. Damn! Grabowski's death would be the last for a short while. No deaths were reported from 1985 to 2004. And in the summer of 2004, the reservoir was fenced off and no swimming signs were scattered all along the shore. But don't tell me. Somebody violated the law, jumped a fence, and went in there, and we've got more death coming. Just wait. Just wait. I'm waiting. 
(laughs) (laughs) This did not stop the curse of the waters from eventually claiming another victim and in a most bizarre fashion. Of course. On July 29th, 2004, 11-year-old Nathaniel Taylor Elkins decided to take his neighbor's dog for a walk near the reservoir. When Nathaniel failed to return home hours later, his mother called the police and they began to search the area near the reservoir. After only 45 minutes of searching, one of the officers noticed something unusual near the south side of the pond, across the fence that blocks off the reservoir. The officer saw a dog sitting on the bank at the edge of the water. Once the officer made his way around the fence and next to the dog, he found a set of small shoes on the bank. When he looked out further, he saw something white in the water. The officer jumped in and recovered the body of Nathaniel Taylor Elkins. He had been dead several hours when he was found. At least he was floating for for a change. It's like the rest of them go straight to the bottom and stay down there for some reason. Now, Nathaniel was not dressed to swim, and his mother later stated that she didn't think he would have gone near the water on his own and wondered if he had been, in fact, been lured there by something. Mermaid? A mermaid, really? Like a mermaid? Hey, freshwater mermaids. Oh, my God. Okay. Well, (laughs) hey, I'm just coming up with stuff. It's like, what what possible thing? You know, this is just strange. Well, that that would be the last death so far on this uh, reservoir. And uh, the reports of ghosts and paranormal occurrences have been recorded on the internet and include uh, such things as electrical devices draining and losing power rapidly, voices coming from the water, some crying out for help, some report the feeling of being watched while they're at night, and some of those involved in the drownings claim to see the water become turbulent just before the drowning, while others claim to see faces just below the surface while attempting to help their friends. I have a theory. Whether or not the haunting of Hobbs Reservoir is real remains to be seen. If you decide to go out to the reservoir yourself, be sure to bring a friend and wear a life jacket, lest you become another victim of the curse. No shit. Yeah, I think I have a theory on that. What do you think about possible poltergeists? You know, that there are hauntings, that there are spirits in this lake of previous drowning victims. You know, maybe somebody was killed while making this thing and their body was never found because if they were excavating, could have been buried alive. You never know. And like, say, you know, they always say that a drowning man will pull somebody down with them. And maybe the spirit of this drowning person is trying to climb out of the water. And when somebody's near it, yanks them i mean did it did it specify specific areas this was just basically all over the reservoir right yeah just all over the reservoir yeah Mm -hmm. yeah but that's another thing but you know like when people are drowning you will drag somebody down with you trying to get up because it's a self-preservation panic mode thing and you will grab somebody you'll try to steal their life vest or whatever if you're in the water you know what i mean yeah so maybe that might have something to do with it maybe a previous drowning victim is just trying to get to the surface and they are able to grab these people and yank them under while trying to get to the surface what do you think yeah in certain cultures especially native american cultures there are a lot of uh, stories of entities of water water entities uh water tricksters that kind of thing so uh that could be it and you know utah is a huge uh, oh, yes. native american land yes it um, is. i wouldn't necessarily call it a poltergeist that generally belongs to uh it's usually attached to somebody uh, usually somebody of the teenage persuasion. Um, and it's, it tends to only stick around until that 
particular person, um, well, generally it tends to grow until that person becomes an adult. So yeah, entity is a much much better word. Yeah, yeah, like a water spirit or a water trickster. I mean, yeah, it could be. Again, I couldn't find anything as far as like a curse being put upon the land. Um, but maybe, you know, that land hadn't been developed before because the natives knew there was something wrong with it. And by digging it up and creating the dam and creating the reservoir, you just unleash whatever was there. But you know what's funny? I have heard of Hobbs Reservoir, but I have never, ever, ever heard of any of this, these drownings. Yeah. That is very, it's, I mean, it's not, it's not cool, but it's cool. You yeah, I get what, what you mean. mean. Yeah, it's bad that they, that people lost their lives, but man, that that kind of stuff just it's it's very trippy. It's fascinating. Yeah, I mean this this is a, a sixteen hundred gallon or sixteen hundred acre uh, capacity. You know, thirty feet at at the deepest. So it's not a large body of water, but I mean this one body of water has had over a dozen or half a dozen drownings in its history. Mm-hmm. You know, and again, there's I mean. I didn't read anything. There's like any fish in there. I mean, there's definitely not anything big enough. One to take a a teenager. Yeah. And who, if it was something like that, you would see some sort of body parts or blood in the water or something. Nobody reported that. Yeah, like like the Blue Mesa Reservoir is one over there near my house in Colorado, and uh-huh. they let they have a dam there and stuff like that to clog the river and it pulls up it just depends you know like when the drought was on man it was way down but there used to actually be a small town at the bottom of this thing and then they you know just they dammed it off and just oh yeah yeah so it's it's pretty cool i mean but yeah i know how these those things work and the fishing is actually excellent in this damn thing <laughs> to be honest with you, there's a ton of fish in this reservoir so cool man you you won't find anything regarding curse throughout Hobbs reservoir this is something i am completely putting forth um you're just going to find information on the drownings and the quote-unquote hauntings again there's not a lot of information on the hauntings they, they say it's haunted because so much death but i mean just looking through this it, to me it's cursed this, this land is cursed well why don't you go ahead and tell the fine folks at home um where they can share us where they can find us and how they can get bonus content and ad-free content Certainly, I'd be glad to. You can find us, of course, on the big three platforms. We are on Facebook, we are on Instagram, and we are on Twitter. We also have a YouTube channel that is growing. I mean, we're almost up to full capacity. I think we have like 36 of our 40-something episodes up there so far. So if you're a YouTuber you like to listen to YouTube, it's a perfect place to do it. We're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, anywhere you listen to podcasts, we're there. Also, if you'd like to support the show, you can find us on Patreon, of course. Uh, it's patreon.com forward slash state of fear, all one word. Uh, we do have three levels there, one, five, and $10 levels. It's not very much. You can get bonus content, ad-free episodes, blooper reels, because trust me, we got plenty of that. Oh, yeah. And other special things we're doing. We do special reviews on a few uh, shows, and that's it, man. And we appreciate any support you can give. We uh, love doing the show. Hope you enjoy what you hear. Go to, you know, go to our YouTube channel, like, subscribe, hit likes, uh, go do it, give us a review, and oh, email yeah. us. Uh, let me get back to that, because we do still have some vintage 1996 X-Files postcards to give away. So if you just go to any podcast platform where you can leave a review, leave us a nice review and a rating, please give us a rating as well, and email the screenshot to stateoffearpodcast at gmail.com. Nice. All right, bud. Well, I'm ready to mosey on out and get to the next state. How about you? 
Indeed, brother. Let's get in the car and head on down the road. What do you say? Let's do it, man. We'll see y'all next date. Oh, and don't forget to stay tuned for the personal encounter stories coming up right now. The Demon Dog of Valle Crucis, Part 1. Near the town of Boone N.C., there's a little town called Valle Crucis, or the Valley of the Cross. So named for the three streams which meet in the centre of the village, forming a rough cross. There exists an old legend about two young men who encountered what is known locally as the Demon Dog of Valle Crucis. Their story is an otherworldly pursuit of their vehicle by a phantom canine which appeared from behind an old stone church on the outskirts of the town, St. John's Episcopal. When I was a child, my family would vacation outside of Valle Crucis every winter. On two such trips, I had multiple encounters with the creature. The following is an account of my experience. I was ten years old and excited for another winter at the family mountain house. We didn't own it, but with Grandma and all of the families on Dad's side, we could afford to rent it once a year. The house is located outside of Valle Crucis off Old 194. To get to the access road, you drive right past St. John's Episcopal and its cemetery, the supposed stalking ground of the demon dog. Of course, I wouldn't learn of the old legend until years later in college. For eight years, I had no idea that I wasn't the only one to see it. That night, as it was getting dark and the first flakes started to fall, it was decided that a grocery run needed to be made. My uncle volunteered to drive into nearby Boone and pick everything up. I asked to go because he's my favourite uncle. A funny guy, always quick with a dad joke or a prank. I figured if nothing else, I'd get some good laughs out of the short trip. We worked down the gravel drive and eventually hit 194 and took the left to start heading towards the main valley. Now fully dark out, we passed St John's Episcopal, the old stone church sitting quaintly there among the dark woods. I can't say how far after the church it came upon us, unleashed itself to say the least, with every pun intended. I didn't notice a thing, being a kid and all, not at first anyway. The first thing I did notice was my uncle adjusting and persistently checking the rear view mirror. The expression on his face was concerned, if not dire. Something was not right. We continued about our way, and I noticed our speed increasing to a level not quite safe for such a mountainous area. We were probably trucking 60 down Hairpin Lane. About that time, I realised something was wrong. I looked at my uncle. I'd never seen real fright on a grown man's face until then. He was looking in that mirror as much as the road. I turned and looked. Behind the truck was a pair of eyes, red, but not like glowing red. They were burgundy, without any illumination. It's not something easily explained with language. It was like two smouldering embers burning, and they locked me in. I came to a few seconds later, though it could have been an eternity and a half in my mind. There was a knocking, right on the back window of the cab of his truck. Whatever had been following us was in the truck bed. I knew, and he knew. I felt the pickup lurch as he gunned the throttle. I was holding out hope that it was a prank, that my other uncle was the one cackling his ass off in the back of the old truck. That was a sick joke I wasn't ready for but his face suggested he was in this boat with me. Then I heard the knock on my window. Whatever it was, 
It was now essentially floating beside us at a dangerous speed for such a road. It was tapping my window, beating on it. I looked over at my uncle, then as he looked past me and out to whatever lay beyond, he told me not to look. Whatever happens, he said, do not look out that window. I did not look. It would be years before I learned what he saw. It was four years later when I had my second encounter with the demon dog of Valle Crucis. I was 14 years old. At the time, I had been allowed to bring a friend, considering our older cousins were away at school and we had the extra room at the mountain house. My friend Stephen is still my best friend, even though we're grown men. I've told him since I was three and he's the first person I remember playing with. We understand each other on an almost telepathic level. I took Stephen with me that year and we were enjoying yet another snowy trip to the lodge. We were snowboarding like things possessed in the backyard of the property and were in hog heaven as far as we were concerned. One afternoon, we all piled into my grandmother's van, a touring van somewhere between a Honda Odyssey and a full-blown RV. I know some of you know what I'm talking about. Anyway, we picked our way down the gravel drive and on to the old 194. We crossed through Valley Crucis and onto the Boone End Sea where the whole clan of us enjoyed a meal at the Daniel Boone Inn. We left the restaurant at about 8.45 and began the trip back to the house. I was in the back with my friend, not back seats, just in the back cargo area of the van. Our main view was out the back window. In the back passenger seats was my little sister and her friend. Up front, my mum, dad, aunt and uncle. My uncle was driving. The rest of our crowd had gone ahead in a smaller vehicle and were not in sight. We were about three quarters of the distance to the house and had just passed St John's Church. Then, the van just stopped. The entire engine just crapped its pants, it seemed. But I wasn't fooled. I'd seen this truck before. My uncle loved to stop on that desolate road and pretend we were stranded. He'd get out and look around, confused. Well, kids, looks like we're stuck out here. But no such joke. Or punchline was to follow. He didn't laugh at our terror and restart the van. He just sat there and looked at my dad. The look on his face was not jovial. It didn't seem like a joke this time. So I played along. I nudged my friend with my elbow and gestured my hand towards my sister and her friend in the van seats ahead of us. It was as if to say, watch this, it'll be funny. But it was not funny. When I nudged him, he made no response. He had his eyes dead affixed to that back window, as if he was in a trance. Then I saw it too. Behind the vehicle, and just beyond the light of the brakes, there it was. This thing. It had the head and scruff of a great black wolf. The body was of a man's almost. The arms were too long, and it was standing upright on two muscular legs. It just didn't make any sense. But whatever it was had my friend deadlocked through the eyes, and he was absolutely mortified. About that time, my mother saw it too. At least I think she did, though she won't talk about it to this day. All I heard was her screaming for my uncle to come and start the car and move. We started back down the road towards the house, and all the while me and Stephen are looking out of the back window. What we saw makes me shudder to this day. The creature dropped down and was running behind our vehicle on unnatural fours. The way it ran was so fucked up, I still lose sleep like it was running ahead of time. It was so smooth and graceful, but I'll never forget how disturbing it was in its locomotion. Nothing natural should move that way. 
The worst part was that we weren't losing it. We were doing an easy 60 miles per hour on this desolate highway, but it was right there behind us, right behind the van. Its face was like an exaggerated cartoon character of a wolf, but all too real. It was like something out of a nightmare. What I remember most are the eyes, like two cigar embers, but with a yellow iris unmoving and deep, dark, black pupils in the centre of each hellish orb. They were transfixing, hypnotic. I guess maybe the fear overwhelmed me because the next day I woke up in my bed at the mountain house. It was morning. To this day, it takes Stephen quite a few drinks to discuss it, and even then he can't have a serious conversation about it. I think he hides behind humour, but I know he remembers it just as well as I do. Thank you.